0: That's right. You can start calling me grandpa. I, uh, I told my son, not yet. Wait until I'm in my 50s. But I knew that wasn't going to happen because my son has no control. He has no self-control. I knew it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I knew it. I told my wife, it's not going to happen. We're going to be grandparents soon. So we're pretty stoked. Thank you for that very gracious uh, I don't, introduction. I always get scared. With, oh, yeah, Pastor Kwok, yeah, yay. You know, it's, uh, I, I, like, I like the introductions that are like, yeah, he's all right. Because then I can be all right and you guys will be pleased. If, oh, yeah, he's gonna, it's going to be awesome. And then I'm like, oh, no. One time uh, when I was a younger, like uh, just brand new to just preaching and stuff, I was, my friend was supposed to preach at uh, this church and he couldn't make it. So he asked me, hey, can you come and fill in for me? I said, sure. And then I remember sitting in, in the front seat, and there are these two young girls behind me, like, oh, we can't wait to hear. Them. And this speaker, and it was my friend's name. Oh, we can't, oh, he's going to be so, I heard. Oh, they loved my friend. And then uh, the other person came up. And, oh, yeah, that's, this person's not going to be here. said, we have Quak." And the two girls in the back were like, <laughs> That's That's what I like. Anyways, and then I went up there and I killed it. Not that I was, anyway, just, that just sounded prideful. Um, anyways, I, uh, I'm going to be a grandpa and I'm here to preach. So uh, there's been a lot on my heart lately. I'm going to preach out of Romans chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, just turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to pick and pull certain things out of there. There are two topics that I want to hit and we'll see how how I hit them. We, we'll see if I even get there. The first topic is I want to talk about the zeal of the Lord. We'll see if we get there. And the, the second topic, uh, I want to talk a little bit about empathy, the empathy of God, because I feel like the, the American church needs some empathy. Uh, I see people fighting online. I, like, I see church leaders fighting online like on Twitter they fight against each other and I'm like have some empathy and there was there was some other things that were going on uh recently and I'm not here gosh I don't I don't always like to have opinion I have opinions but I don't some things I don't feel like I need to put opinions on but then and I don't always put my opinions online but then sometimes I do (laughs) because 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 dumb people push me to um there was this thing that happened a couple weeks ago. Anyone watch the Olympics? I was especially stoked for the Olympics this year because skateboarding was in the Olympics. And so I said, oh, I can't wait to watch the skaters because I come from that world. Uh, but there was this, you guys know about that gymnast that stopped, like she just quit, remember, remember her? I don't remember her name, but I just remember it happened. And I'm, I, I don't care. I don't care about gymnastics. Maybe you do. I don't want to be. I don't care about the Olympics, except for skateboard. I don't care. It's just the Olympics. That's my opinion. People can do what they want. That's my opinion. I wasn't going to say anything about anything. And then uh, someone I knew uh, was like, "Can you believe this girl? Da da da. This, this, and this. What a quitter." And I was like, well, you don't know this. You don't know what she, you know, I try to empathize. i like, you don't know what she's going through. You don't know what's in her mind. You don't know. Oh, yeah, but this, this, I wouldn't quit. You wouldn't make it to the Olympics. I, st- I wasn't going to say anything. I was like, whatever, this is not worth me going online and ranting. I don't, I don't, hmm. And then I listened to this. I happened to stumble upon this YouTube video of this famous, I'm not even going to mention his name, this famous, I don't even know what he is, talking head. No, not, not him. I like him. Uh, <laughs> this famous talking head calling this girl out and just calling her names, just really laying into her. And I was like, what the heck? And this guy claims to be a Christian. In fact, not only is he a Christian, he has spoken at a local Bay Area church, and I knew that he was invited to speak at another church, another influential church, which is actually a good church. The church that he spoke at here, "Mm." but the church that he's supposed to, and I'm like, I can't believe they're having this guy. What a jerk. He was a jerk to her. Like, I'm not even going to repeat what he said. He just, like even if you disagree and you call yourself a Christian, he was such a and so finally I, I online i posted I posted his video I said don't listen to this guy, if you listen to this guy, you will, it will kill all compassion and empathy, even though there's other issues that I agree with this guy because sometimes you can agree with the issue, but the spirit in which you receive it there, there are spirits that, 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 that which you receive it, it can kill You're the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and what are we? What are Christians supposed to be known for? Come on, love, but our love for one another. Anyways, so I posted this guy, I blasted him on online, (laughs) and then I posted this thing that Justin Bieber wrote, and I say, see, look, even Justin Bieber gets it. (sighs) On the on another note, I think it's so awesome what God is doing with the Biebs. Uh, it's just so, it's so weird to me to see him doing these things and then having Judas Smith come out and having worship leaders come out and people are getting saved. I'm like, whoa. Like back in my day, that'd have been like if Michael Jackson came out and had Billy Graham come out. That's, to me, it's a trip. And so God's doing something. Anyways, Romans chapter 12. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to talk about some stuff. Romans chapter 12, verse one says this. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This this is a reasonable Christian discipline. What is it? It is presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So what is reasonable for us Christians to do? One, we have to be present. Our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, we know sacrifices when you take an animal and you cut it, maybe you cut it in half this way. Sometimes they do that, and then the blood comes out. It's a sacrifice. It's killing an animal. And so this basically means you're killing yourself. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You have to die daily. What is uh, uh, discipleship 101, die to yourself. Amen. Discipleship 101, die to yourself. Some of you guys have heard this story. I have no new stories. Well, actually, I'll share a new story afterwards. I'll share an old story, then a new story. Back in the day, I was driving on the freeway, and I must have been driving too slow or something for the person behind me because they zoomed past me. As they zoomed past me, they honk their horn. They, I look over, and I see two girls, two cholo girls. They were, You know those cholo vato girls? They were cholos. They weren't Mexican girls. There's the difference between a Mexican girl and a Cholo girl. I know this because I married a Mexican girl who had many cholos in her family. There were two cholo girls. One of them looked at me and did this. You know, she she did that. As an Asian, all of a sudden I saw red. I was mad. Very upset. So what did I do as a pastor? I decided to follow them. I followed them. They saw that I was following them, so they tried to get away from me because they knew, oh, we messed with the crazy one. (laughs) Thank God I don't have any fish stickers on my car. I chased them down, and they're trying to get away. I was weaving in and out of traffic. All of a sudden, traffic started to stop, and they got scared. I pull up beside them. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. They're like, we're sorry, we're sorry. They were cholos. We're sorry. I knew I had done wrong. Pastor Kwok gave it up to the flesh. You ever? Do you ever start doing something and in, in the middle of it, you know you're wrong? Maybe you're in an argument and you begin to say something And in the or or you're about to do something, or you feel like doing something, or you want to do something, and you know it's wrong. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. Meaning, you don't always do what you want or what you feel. You do what's right. But I had already done it, and so they're like, "No!" And so I'm like, "Okay, what can I do? What can I do to change this around?" And so when they, I said, hey, hey, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And they looked over, and I looked at them, and I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then I drove off, and they laughed. Huh? They had a laugh. I, now that I think of it, I should have went like this. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I should have pressed them in so, so that they know what it felt. I, it, I caught myself. I caught myself, All right, That's an old story. Some of you guys probably heard it. I've been using that one for years. Two weeks ago, (laughs) two weeks ago, I'm in McDonald's drive-thru. It's actually a Sunday morning. I'm on my way to preach at a church, not this church, another church. The topic of my message is act like a Christian. I'm in McDonald's drive-thru, as is my morning Sunday morning ritual. I always go to McDonald's drive-thru. I get a number six. With, an ice, with a, with a no-sugar vanilla iced coffee. McDonald's has the best iced coffee. And I, number six is, a, it's a, what is it? It's a McGriddle. Mm. Mm. Anyways, I, get, I pay for my food. I go to the next window. I get my food. The person in front of me had just gotten their food. They pull up a little bit. I pull up to my window. I get my food. I pull up a little bit. And all of a sudden, they stop. It's still the drive through because it's still on both sides. There's no way out. They stop. They get out of their car. And I, and I give them, I give them a, a quick beep, like, not, not like a, but a quick beep, like, hey, you know, what are you doing? I'm late for church. And I beep, and then the guy says, he does this. And then he go, proceeds to walk into the McDonald's. The whole drive-through line is stopped for this guy. The whole line is stopped. And so I proceed to lay into my horn. As I'm about to go preach, he gets out. He goes, dude, you got somewhere to be? I said, yes. As a matter of fact, I do. He goes, well, so do I. He said, I needed to get my creamer for my coffee. I said, listen, buddy. <laughs> you know when I call someone buddy, it's don't watch out. You know a phrase I hate? I don't know, when they go, hey, my guy. I don't like my guy, I don't. Okay, hey, my guy, I don't like my guy. I should have called him my guy. And so he, he goes, you got somewhere? I Yeah, I, I do. He goes, well, so do I, I had to get creamer for my coffee. I said, you know what? I said, you could have just went and parked out there and then went in. I said, what you did was rude and was very inconsiderate. That's what I said to him. He goes, yeah, well, F you, you little bee. And then he says this to me. He says, get out of the car. Can I tell you, everything inside of me wanted to get out of the car. This is Pastor Kwok. I wanted to get, I train five nights a week for this. (laughs) I wanted to see if jujitsu really works on the street. That's, that's, That's the big thing. Does this really work on the streets? I wanted to. I desired to. My anger after being called and whatever he called me, I wanted to do it but I was on my way to preach a message about acting like a Christian. <laughs> and so I said, no, I'm not going to get out of my car. You get in your car. We all have some place to be. He gets in his car, he drives off. I take off, I go to church, and I preach a message. Feeling condemned. <laughs> At the end of the message, I'm preaching. At the end of the message, I I just, all right, guys, let's just wait on the Lord and pray. And everyone's just waiting and praying. And I'm feeling like a failure in my heart. And I hear the Lord speaking in my heart. He said this. He says, you didn't get out of the car. I said, no, I didn't. I thought I'd failed. He said, you did not get out of it. I said, all right. I wanted to so (laughs) bad. You didn't get out of the car. I said, "All right, all right, I didn't get out of the car." We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Can I tell you that the Word of God is here to restrain us at times? What if I got out of my car? Let's say I choke him out. I still wouldn't have been able to get out. His car was blocking the driveway. Let's say he was also trained, and what I find is when I'm trained and someone else is trained, they usually beat me. <laughs> that's what I find in the gym. I'm like, oh, you train, I train, you win. I blue belt, you blue belt, you win. <laughs> I like that's why I like to train with white belts at our, like first day. <laughs> what if he? What if he would have just you know? What if he had a gun? What? what right. The word of God restrains us for our own protection. The, what if in the middle of beating him up, he goes, Pastor the Quark? The, the word of God. <laughs> Is that you? I'd be like, no. <laughs> I get that all the time. <laughs> there, the, if you're feeling restrained by God, then thank God because the word of God is here to restrain us, right? There are people who, I just want to be free. That's why I don't want to serve God. Usually when a person says, I just want to be free, the thing that they want to be free to do is never anything good. It's never, I want to be free to feed the homeless. It's never anything that's going to make the world a better place. I just, I don't want to serve God because God, I don't want to be laid down with birth. I I don't, I I just want to be free. The freedom you're seeking if you're trying to get away from God is it's it's not gonna save the world. It's not gonna help the world. So the word of God is here, it constrains us sometimes to do what we want to do. And there are times in your Christian walk where you're literally gonna have to walk away from something though your innards rage, though your emotions rage, you though it hurts and it's painful, you will have to walk away from things that you want to run to. The Bible says that uh, the word is a double-edged sword. Many times we think... The edge of the sword is for other people, right? We take the word, it? and we think that sword is to cut pieces off of other people. But it's a double-edged sword. There's one edge is for you. In fact, the main edge is for you. You're like those Japanese guys. You know those Japanese dudes that are like, you know those guys? And then their friends are there, and they chop off their heads. A good friend will be there to help you and chop your head off when you need it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm Anyone watch samurai movies? All right. Gosh, all right, that's just verse 1. Okay, let's hurry. Verse 2. Let's go to verse 2. Verse 1 and verse 2 is the foundation. This is the foundation for for the rest of chapter 12. Usually we we read verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 talks about... Uh, resist uh, talks about being a living sacrifice verse 2 talks about renewing the mind and we think those are two different topics and then we read we think verse 3 through through 8 is about serving with your spiritual gifts and then you think verse 9 through 21 is about behaving like a Christian but what we don't realize is verse 1 and 2 is the foundation for for serving and the foundation for behaving like a Christian so part two, verse two says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So the Bible there says, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. That transformed is the Greek word, is the word metamorpho. Metamorph. everyone say metamorphoo. If you're a gangster, say metamorphoo. Just kidding. All right, metamorphoo. It's it means to transform. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's where the idea of a, a, a caterpillar going into a cocoon and metamorphosizing and coming out a beautiful butterfly. It's a trans. Formation And how do we get to that transformation? The Bible says by the renewing of our mind. Uh, it, 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 we get there by changing the way that we think. Jesus wants to take us from a low level of thinking into a high level of thinking. He wants to take you to new dimensions of thought and brain activity. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to take you to a higher consciousness. I'm not talking about like weird new age, weird weak, freaky stuff. When we begin to think, when, when we, we, we let the Holy Spirit begin to renew our mind by the word of God, we begin to come into a higher place of consciousness. We, we begin to live in a higher plane of reality, which is more real more closer to truth than where we once were. Where once we thought, well, this is the way of living. This is how it's done. But God begins to unfold truth, and, be, and, and we begin to make sac- become sacrifice before him. He begins to change the way that we think, and he takes us to a higher level of thinking. And you're like, oh, my gosh. It's like this and the endorphins begin to on the back of your brain, and you get that natural high. It's called getting your mind blown. This is what God wants to do with us. And here's the cool thing. It doesn't just happen the moment you get saved. This is a lifelong thing, meaning God continues to blow your mind for the rest of your life, taking you to higher levels of thought. And then it goes, and, and I, I don't want to really touch on verse 3 to 8, but verses 3 to 8 talks about serving with our gifts. When, when, we're, when we're serving on a higher level of thinking, we, we don't serve for ourselves anymore. We, we serve, we realize when I serve, what's valuable is not what I can get out of this. What's value, the true purity and the true value of my service is what I give. We realize that, right? I'm, I'm going to sk- skip that whole part. Well, I, the, I, I get all that because I want to get to verse 9. And in the New King James version of the Bible, there are sometimes before uh, s- certain paragraphs or certain thoughts of Scripture, the New King James, has, they've added like subtitles. And the subtitle here is behave like a Christian. Don't get out of the car. Don't do it. Don't say that thing you've been wanting to say to your wife all this time. Don't say it. Kill it inside of you. Let it die. I was just preaching me for a second. So verse 9, there's actually, verse 9 to 21, oh, such rich scriptures to live by. But there's two, I'm going to read through, but there's two things that I want to really kind of stay on. The, okay? But let's start verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be sincere and true. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Verse 11, we're going to stay here for a second. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 11 speaks of godly zeal. Oh, my translation didn't even have zeal in there. Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor, be aglow and burning with the spirit. What translation is this? I like it. What is this? The passion translate? Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor, be aglow and burning with, the, burning with the spirit, serving the Lord. It speaks of zeal. Okay. The Oxford Dictionary for zeal. I like it. I just say Oxford Dictionary because it makes me sound like, ooh, Oxford, ooh, uh. Anyways, the Oxford Dictionary for zeal means, it means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective, right? That's so highbrow, the Oxford. A more lowerbrow, which is vocabulary.com, says this. It says, zeal is dedication or enthusiasm for something, If you have zeal, you're willing, energized, and motivated. And then it goes, this is a a secular dictionary. It says, zeal is often used in a religious sense, meaning devotion to God or another religious cause, like being a missionary. So basically, zeal for God is a passionate devotion to God. When God begins, when we begin to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we begin to stick knives of God's word to unholy passions. We begin to kill old passions. And then the Bible says, then we renew our mind and we become transformed God begins to fill us with new passions. Where before, maybe our passion was to get out of the car and fight. The new zeal is for peace and empathy. Or well, maybe that guy just was just having a bad day. He was not realizing that he was blocking everyone. He didn't realize he couldn't park. Maybe he had a low IQ. I don't know. Oh. God begins to change our passions. You gotta be passionate about the Lord. I remember, gosh, many years. Somebody, who was who was with me at West Valley Alliance Church? Who was here at West Valley Alliance back in the day? Anybody was here back then? No. One? I see one in the back. Who is that? Is that Josiah? Is that Josiah? Yeah. Josiah was in junior high at the time. We're at West Valley Alliance Church, and we had a retreat, all right? The guest speaker of the retreat was the same guy that got me this other, the other, the preaching thing where he didn't show up, and I showed up instead, and everyone was bummed. It was him. The, he, he came as a guest speaker, who actually is Josiah's cousin. And <laughs> he's Josiah's cousin. Anyways, we had this retreat, and there was this one kid who was demon-possessed, long story short, long story, long story short. Uh, by the end of the retreat, they cast the demons out of him. He got saved. Radically saved. He, he comes. We all leave the retreat. And next Sunday, everyone comes to church. And this kid who got demons cast out of him and was radically, shows up at church, completely bald. Eyebrows gone. All right, after the service, I'm like, what happened? He goes, I came home. <laughs> I went into my room, I took off all my clothes until I was naked. I'm like, that's a good place to stop. (laughs) I took off my clothes until I was naked. And I worshiped the Lord walking around my house naked. then I got a razor and unto the Lord, I shaved off all the hair on my body. He didn't say it like that, I say it like that for a fact. He was a skinny, I shaved off all the hair on my (laughs) my body. How many of you guys know that's weird? I didn't tell him it. I I, I didn't go, that's weird, dude. (laughs) I didn't say, stop doing that kind of stuff. In fact, I encouraged it. (laughs) Because he he was on fire. He did it unto the Lord. My job is not to throw a wet blanket on his fire. My job at that time as the pastor was to steer and guide that fire into the right direction. So I many people are on fire and they do weird things sometimes. Like, as long as they're not sinful, most of the time I'm not going to be like, hey, hey, all right, let's steer you. He was on fire. He, still, he stayed on fire. I don't want to stop the fire. How many guys know you're going to be on fire? You, you get demons cast out of you, you're going to be on fire. He had the zeal. He had the zeal of the Lord. Can I tell you, better overboard than underboard? He was overboard. Better overboard then because it's easier to steal steal to steer the zeal than to stoke the zeal Luke 10:27 says you shall love the Lord God with all your heart all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind It's with your whole being it's when God is everything again I say again because sometimes God is everything, and then we let things come into our lives to steal our zeal. And we we must come back and be on fire. Again, that is called revival. In Isaiah 37, 31, 32, it talks about the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Many times they were drawn. Astray. They were they, they, from, from serving God, the God who saved them from Egypt. They, were, they, they, they began to get, uh, let their fire uh, dole out and their fire put out. And many times this happens, but there's always a remnant. There's always a, a, a people left, left over. In Isaiah 37, 31 through 32, it says, and the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah. Wait a second. You know what Judah means? Do you know what Judah means? The name, my son is named Judah. Judah means praise. The remnants who escaped the house of Judah. That doesn't make sense. Why would the remnant escape the house of praise? Because sometimes the house of praise becomes a place where they put out the fires of God. Whoa. Whoa. Sometimes. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying this church. So that the Bible says the remnant escaped. And then it says, it says the remnant who have escaped the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward for out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and those who escape from Mount Zion the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this it takes zeal to leave everything you know to stay on fire for God it takes zeal to leave the religious structure of the day to keep the fire burning all right it says and i like that it says they 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 shall take root downward and bear fruit Upward. Many times we want to go upward. We want that status. We want to get that, that 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 power, that influence, that that name. But the Bible says they took root downward before they could bear fruit upward. I believe that Christianity has always been, from the beginning, a grassroots movement. It's it's always been house to house, person to person. It's more of a. It, it should be grassroots and. And I'm not, I, I vote, I do all that. I believe God has called some people to follow. I, I, I do that kind of stuff. But I don't put my hope in all this governmental, I don't. The, I pray, I, I pray the best. I want them to do the I pray that they're blessed. I pray that God will guide them, those, <laughs> those that are open. I, I pray that that would happen. But my my hope is in house to house, person to person, day to day. My ho- hope is grassroots. My hope is in Christ, who is a part of uh, another kingdom. If his, his world is not of his kingdom, is not of this earth. It's another kingdom. That is where my hope lies. When skateboarding went to the Olympics, I was actually happy. I was like, yay, finally, skateboarding are getting recognition. We're considered mainstream now. There's a skate park everywhere. Like it's different. Skate park dads take their little toddlers to the skate park and they skate. It's just now. It's it's like uh, uh, it's lifestyle. It's it's like that. But when I was skating in the 80s and 90s, skateboarding was rock and roll. It wasn't mainstream. There weren't skate parks everywhere. You skated on the street. You find a spot on the street. You were dirty. You were a street kid and you were punk rock and you liked it, right? But now, I'm, I'm about to be a grandfather. Yes, put them in the Olympics, right? <laughs> but there's a group of skaters, and I feel like it's less skaters these days than more, but there's a group of skaters like, no, skateboarding should be remain punk rock. Ah, we don't need the Olympics. We're always on the fringes. And that's not my point of view with skateboarding. I like skateboarding, and I'm old. Having said that, I've been having these meditations lately. And by meditations, I don't mean like, um, I mean, deep thoughts about the state of the church and Christianity. And I keep on hearing the thought that, that the church needs to be more rock and roll. And at first I'm like, what the hell this? And for months, and I'm still contemplating, what does this mean? And then sometimes how the Lord speaks to me is I'll get a song in my head. I'll just start hearing a song. In Isaiah, I think it's the book of Isaiah, it actually says the Lord, the God, the Lord uh, sings over over me. So Sometimes I hear a song. Sometimes it's just my head, like a jingle like from, from, from my childhood, like a commercial, right? I got it at Ross, something like that, you know? But then sometimes it's a song I can't get out of my head, and then I realize God is speaking to me. Back in the day when I wasn't doing too hot, I remember a song from Greece came into my head. And it's that one, I got chills, they're multiplying. You guys know that? From Greece? You guys know Greece? And I'm losing control. Da-da-da. And then the, the chorus kicks in, you better shape up. Cause I need a man. I'm like, whoa, God, you're speaking to me. And my heart is set on you. You better shape up. I'm Hey like, God, I hear it. But lately. Gosh, I got to hurry. I'm going to finish this part up. Lately, I've been hearing this. God gave rock and roll to you, gave rock and roll to you, put it in the heart of it. Em- you guys know that song? I don't know who wrote that song, but Kiss in the early 90s did a cover of it. You guys know Kiss? They paint their face funny. They're from the 70s and 80s. I've been hearing that. In my head, God, I believe that God is bringing rock and roll back to the church. And when I say rock and roll, I don't mean rebellion. I mean, rock and roll don't care. We're not trying to go mainstream. We're not trying to make everybody happy. We just want to rock. We want to live for Jesus. We want to do what's right. And we don't care what everybody says. There's a time when Christianity was mainstream. That was the 50s, the 40s, the 50s. That day is over. Maybe it'll be again. Maybe Justin Bieber will bring it back. Who knows? But God needs a church that just doesn't care about what people think. They're going to have the zeal of the Lord. They're going to run with holiness and they're going to run for God. They're going to have a zeal for the house of God. The Bible says the zeal for the house of God has eaten me up. Another translation, that sounds weird. Another translation, a zeal for the house of the Lord has consumed me. Where we're hungry for God. We're hungry for fellowship. We're hungry to preach the unadulterated gospel. We're not going to change it to make it mainstream. I'm not going to let them put the church in the Olympics. Amen. All right. They can have their men weightlifters. All right, let's go on. Gosh. All right, only have. How do we keep our zeal? We keep it by talking to Jesus. It's so simple. Well, that's one way. There's there's many ways. I'm just gonna do a couple points and then move on. Do you guys remember the gosh, the two men, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had died? Remember that? The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, a third dude comes in and, and he's like, Why are you guys so sad? And they're like, you know, you didn't you hear Jesus died? And then the third dude was like, hey, you know what? He had to, he began to show them from the scriptures. He had to die. Here's why he had to die. And then the the two guys were like, hey, come eat with us. He said, okay. And then the third dude broke the bread. And when they broke the bread, uh, the other two guys, oh, you're Jesus. And then the third dude disappeared. Remember that story? There's this line right after that happened. In Luke chapter 24, verse 32, it says this. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us? There's something about having fellowship with God that causes our hearts to burn while he talked with us. When we talk to God and when he talks with us, it keeps the Fire, burning. Talk, just talking, just talking, just walking and talking. Gosh, can I say just from that song God gave rock? Just meditate. That's he. Just meditating. It keeps my heart like, oh, God's gonna do something new. You know. You want to know what else keeps you burning? Just knowing that God's going to do something new. And how do you know God's going to do something new? By keeping fellowship with him. That expectation, God, when God does something new. You know, the Bible always says stuff like, uh, behold, I do a new thing. That's like the first, always the first sermon by a pastor after the New Year's Eve. Their scripture is always, behold, I do a new thing. And, it's, and it's, not clear. it's always good. Why? Because God is always doing something new. In fact, you are being renewed daily. The Bible says, my, in, my outward man is perishing. My inward man is being renewed daily. God is always doing something. There's something about new things that gets you excited, isn't there? Right? When the new, oh, the new iPhone, uh, oh, it's coming out. I can't wait. Your old one is fine. Yeah, but the new one. The new Marvel movie, oh, Chinese guy's gonna be in it. I can't wait. Aquafina's gonna be in it. The new one, the next episode, the next episode, right? There's something about the new that gets excited. Can I tell you, God is doing something new? There's gonna be a new movement, there's gonna be new souls getting saved, new disciples needing to get disciples. <laughs> New, he's, he's, he's got new missions for you, new, new revelations, new things for you. God is doing a new thing. And it's way more exciting than the next Marvel movie and next iPhone. <laughs> way more. Why? Because the new thing God, and there's nothing wrong. I, I watch all this. The, the new thing God is doing is it's going to last. It's going to have eternal ramification. It's going to go into eternity. God's doing something new. Let's move on. The last thing, the last way to keep your passion burning, sometimes you need to repent because sometimes there are things in your life that are killing your passion, and you need to cut those things off of your life. It's called repentance. The fruit of repentance is passion. All right. We're going to end with this thought, and the thought is this, and I, I, I say all that to get to this. Trying to find the scripture. I know the scripture, but I want to read it. I can't find it, but it's in here. It's in Romans chapter 12. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Very simple. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. What is that? That is empathy. That is empathy. I've I've been thinking a lot about empathy ever since that jerk said those things about that Olympic girl. I've been thinking a lot about, I'm like, we need to be empathetic. I'm like, I need to preach on empathy. And when I did that, one of my favorite Christian communicators began to speak on empathy. I'm like, oh, what is, coincidence? And this is what he said. He said, empathy is the highest form of intelligence. This is what he said. Erwin McManus, I don't know if you guys heard Erwin. He's one of my faves. He said, empathy is the highest form of intelligence. He says, there's, there's all sorts of intelligence. There's book smarts, there's street smarts, there's intelligence in this, there's in, and it's all good. He said, but the highest form of intelligence is the ability to empathize with other people. It's the highest form. We need to have empathy towards people, especially people we disagree with, especially towards people that we think are in sin, Or maybe we know are in sin. I'm not saying the sin is okay. I'm saying we need to empathize with people. Christians who don't empathize with people who we consider sinners forget where we came from. Do you guys, watch this, uh, real quick, in Proverbs 6, verse 30, it says, People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. How many of you guys know stealing is wrong? Stealing is wrong. I've had my car broken in several times. I remember one time I was preaching in Oakland. Uh, I, I went into the service. I came out. My window was smashed. They took all, this was in the days of CDs. They took all, I had a whole big old thing of all CDs. They just stole them all. I said, I hope they like Christian music. <laughs> <laughs> they need it more than me. I, I was upset. Oh, it took so long to get that. I was upset, we, but the Bible says that, that people do not despise a thief who steals to satisfy his appetite. When he, In the book of Proverbs, there's, there's empathy there. But then the next verse says, but if he gets caught, he'll in order to pay, pa- pay back, he should sell everything in his house. So it, it does not... It does not say that the sin is okay. It does not let the sin off the hook, but there's empathy. Sin is still sin, but there's empathy. I say that to get to this. You guys, my favorite story in the Bible, I preach it so much, is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery by the Pharisees. You guys remember this story? The Pharisees grab the woman. You probably, I probably preach it to you guys like 20 times. He grabs this woman, throws her before Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Since the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? And they're all, they think they're so cool, these Pharisees. They think they're all high and mighty. And the Bible says that Jesus was, just, he stooped down and he just began to draw in the sand. We don't know what he's drawing, but he's, He's like, oh my gosh, these guys, uh, I just don't need to, maybe he, maybe he was just like, I just need to draw for some peace. Maybe that was, his, his, his happy place was art. <laughs> he was designing his next tattoo for Jason. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And then they said, hey, Jesus, what, you, what should we do? And he stands up and he says, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says they all left, Beginning with the oldest to the youngest, let him who has no sin, who has no sin, cast the first stone. They all laugh from the and then he stoops down again. He, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what he, how you like me now. I don't know. He stoops down. He starts writing, and then the he looks up. The woman's still there. She's like ah, and he says to her, "Where are your accusers? Do they not condemn you?" And she says, "No." And then he says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He didn't make it so that her adultery was okay. His zeal for the house of the Lord was so much that he would not say it's okay to sin. He said, go and sin no more. But he did say, I do not condemn you. His empathy for this woman said, I do not condemn you. Now, when we read that story, we look at good guys and bad guys. And that's how I've always read it. Stinking Pharisees. Ugh, these guys. I'll get out the car. Them, right? And then we look at Jesus. Yay, the hero. We look at the woman. Yay. We look at the Pharisees. But, the, but as I begin to meditate on empathy, I begin to look at this scripture differently. The Bible says, when he said to them, go, no, he said to them, he who has no sin cast the first stone. The Bible says they were convicted in their hearts and left oldest to youngest. Why oldest to youngest? Because the longer you live, the more sin you have. Because you'd have more time to sin. I'm a grandpa. I have a lot of sins. Oldest to youngest, they left. But the Bible says this. They were convicted in their hearts. And if they were convicted in their hearts, it means they weren't completely lost. The whole time I'm reading this, I'm condemning the Pharisees. Condemning them. But what blew my mind is that their minds were blown because Jesus says let him who has no sin cast the first stone what was he doing he was taking them and he was elevating them to a higher place of consciousness he put a thought in their head that they did not think anymore he he put a thought in their head that just like totally changed the way that they thought the whole that changed everything about the religion and about the, the way they were practicing following God and t- where they were condemning he put a a, a cog in their mach- the, the mechanics of their mind he stuck it in he said let him who has he put a truth in their mind and it elevated the pharisees to a higher level of thinking where the first time maybe in years they felt empathy for this woman they were convicted. I was her. I am there. I am a sinner too. And they left. Empathy. There was this, uh, gosh, some of you guys know this story because I've told it a million times. I'm just telling it because it just fits here. Until I get a new story, I will tell this one. Many years ago, there was a girl on my team. I traveled with a team when I was in my early 20s, a ministry team. There was a girl on my team. We were on a team of five. We stopped at this McDonald's to eat. And when we got out, she goes, come sit with me. I need to talk. So we, I came. I sat. We talked. She says, I don't know what it is about you, but you annoy me. I don't like you. I don't know what it is, but you're annoying. And I, you get on my nerves. And I, I said, I, sorry, I, I didn't do anything. It must be you. <laughs> and she says, it is me. You're right. It's my problem, but I just had to tell you. I hate your guts. She didn't say that. I said, okay, cool. So we travel on a team. We do ministry together. I try not to annoy her, but I couldn't help it. I just am annoying. She hates me. But nobody on the team really likes her because of certain characteristics or whatever. I don't know. Towards the end of the team, end of the, year, end of the our tour, uh, we, me and her just happened to be in this room in some guest house we are staying with. And she just out of the blue begins to tell me about her mom who, when she was 16 year, years old, died of cancer. Her mom died of cancer, 16 years old. She tells me this story about how, she, how one day she walked by her mom's room, her mom reached out to her, and she looked at her mom, and she, she, her mom wanted her to come to her, but she was so hurt that her mom was going to die that she didn't. She walked away. Shortly after that, her mom passed away, and she told me, I wish so bad that when my mom did that, I would have walked into this room. She tells me this story. I don't know why. I, she, I got on her nerve. I don't, she hated my guts. But as she's telling me the story, something in my eye, something happened. The tears. Anyone ever try to suck in your tears? Like, you're like, that's what I was doing. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But it's impossible. If anyone knows how to suck in the tears, talk to me after service. I would like to learn that skill. They just started, I just started crying. I couldn't help it. I just felt for her. I was felt for her and I cried. After that, I was her favorite person. <laughs> no joke. I was her f- oh, I love, oh, I was her favorite person. Why? Empathy connects people. It lets people know they are not alone. Cuz some people are so alone, they feel they, they might be surrounded by people but they're like nobody understands me, nobody gets what I they p- some people are so alone Empathy brings connection. We were connected. We were. And then all of a sudden, she was super nice. She was super nice. And we became really good friends. Several tours later, we're on the same tour. And we were. And by this point, everybody loves her. We were. We were driving in the middle of nowhere. In fact, we were headed to Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the middle of the desert. I get a phone call from the home base. And they're like, hey, pull over and have this girl call home base. I said, why? Her father just died. And so I pull over, and I said, hey, call home base. She said, why? I said, I don't know, just call. I lied. I'm a liar. She went and called. While she was calling, everyone was asleep. I I was driving. I woke everyone up. I said, listen, she is finding out now that her dad is dead. When she gets back, we're going to drop her off at the airport to go back home. So they all know. She gets in the car. She doesn't say, she says nothing. I pull out of the parking lot. I start driving. Once again, the tears This time, I'm not holding them back. I start crying, just weeping, just tears. I look to my right, and she's just sitting there crying, crying. No one says a word. I look in the rearview mirror. The whole team is sitting there crying. No one says anything. We're only crying together. Rejoice with those who rejoice, rejoice, and weep with those who weep. We all cry for her. We drop her off at the airport. I think I'll never see her again. She says, No, that's not true. She says, I'm coming back to this team. As soon as the funeral is over, I'm coming back to you guys. She says, because you guys are my family. We were like Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have friends. <laughs> I have family. Uh this is Brazil. No, this week. But she goes, you guys are my family. I, she wanted to come back to it. Before it empathy, it connects people. Gosh. An empathetic church. You don't have to agree with people's lifestyles. But you do have to hear people's stories. Let me say that again. You don't have to agree with people's lifestyles, but listen to their stories because maybe you'll understand why the thief stole. You will not, the sin is still not okay, but maybe you'll have a, some kind of understanding why a person is depressed all the time. And you're, you're like, just, just pull up yourself up by the bootstraps, and right? just press through it. You, don't tell someone to press through it if you're not going to be there to press with them. Don't tell someone to pull up their bootstraps if you're not grabbing the other bootstrap. Amen? Last scripture, and we're done. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 through 16. This high priest of ours, the Bible says, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And then it says, so let us boldly come to the throne of grace. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. It says, let us come boldly to God's throne, that we can approach God boldly. Why? Because he can understand our weaknesses. uh, That was an NLT. The ESV says this. I like what the ESV says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is talking about Jesus. It's saying Jesus understands you. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. He sympathizes with your temptations. Why? Because he faced them too. He didn't fall into the sin, but he faced the same temptations he felt What you felt, he wanted to get out of the car. Thank you, Jesus. That way, I can come boldly to him. I don't have to be ashamed when I come to my Christ. I don't have to be ashamed when I sin. He's calling me to receive mercy and grace. It's mercy and grace. They seem like generic terms for the long-term Christian. Mercy and grace. I receive mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Right here says, when you come to the throne of grace, you receive mercy and grace. The mercy is for forgiveness. That mercy means I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, something good. That's the mercy. The mercy means you've sinned. I will have, I'm, I'm going to overlook your sin. I forgive your sin. That's mercy. We need that. Second is grace. What is grace? Grace is the strength to overcome our sin. You don't have strength to overcome your own sin, but I'm giving you grace and mercy because I can empathize with you I'm going to give it to you. Your sins will be forgiven. And not only that, you will overcome your sin. Go and sin no more. All because Jesus empathizes with us.